All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe it, give me an amen. Amen. All right, let's rise to our feet. Let's declare the words we normally do before we start studying the word of God. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more than the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 Father, we thank you. That will be our experience today in Jesus' name. Can you just turn to somebody on your left and your right and tell the person that will be your experience? Light will come to you. Understanding will come to you. You will be healed in every area. Yes. Hallelujah. Take your seats. The Lord is good. All right, let's open our Bibles first of all to the book of John chapter 6. Let's start from there. The book of John chapter 6. I want to bring out an issue here. We've been talking about, um, even though I did not intend for it to be a series, it has turned out to be like that. I, um, I've been, we have been looking at the fact that God needs something. There is what the Lord is looking for, people that he needs. You know, we, one of the scriptures we read again and again, he said in Revelations that those who are with him, they are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. The called, the chosen, and the faithful. And what we have been saying is that God is looking for faithful people. He's looking for people he can count on, people who can be relied upon to do his will in their lives. I just feel like we should read that one briefly. Let's just open to Revelation chapter 17. It said, well, if, let me just read it. If you, if you, you can just wait because we're already in the other one. All those that will wage war against the Lamb. He said, This will wage war against the Lamb, verse 14, and the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those who are with him are the called, the chosen, and faithful. That is, these are not three groups of people. People are first called, then amongst those who are called, some are chosen. Like this, it is said, Jesus said, Many are called, and few are chosen. And amongst those who are chosen, some are faithful. So that selection, at the end of the day, God just wants a group of people amongst them. Those who have passed through the stage of being called, all have been called, and some have been chosen amongst them, those who have been called. And amongst those who have been chosen, a few have been found to be faithful. Paul said that when God found me faithful, that was when he committed to me a ministry. He gave me something to do because he had found me faithful. And what we have been saying is that faithful people are very hard to find. That's a matter of fact. They are very hard to find. But we all have a duty to prepare ourselves to be found faithful. We have to. We have to. And that's what we've been looking at. Now, so let's bear that in mind. And let me just remind us again of what I've been saying. When he said he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings, this is understanding the Lord helped me to have of this. He was not bragging about the magnitude or the greatness of the Lord Jesus here. Yes, that's part of it. But what he was focusing on is that he has lords. He's not alone. He said he has kings. He's not alone. That is, he has people who are with him. That is, God, the, the Lord Jesus is going to wage war. And if you see the preceding verses, you see the lamb that um, the beast is over, he's, um, waging war against has ten kings who give to him their power and the authority. 
they are fighting for the beast. It's not as if they don't have power and authority anymore, but they have committed the use of their power and their authority to the function, the purpose of the beast. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what he's saying now about the Lord is that he has more people on his side than that. More are those who are with him than those other people. That he also has his own kings. He has his own lords. The principle there is that his own kings and his own lords are exercising their power and their authority on behalf or for the purpose of the lamb. And that is why the lamb will overcome. You must understand the principle here. Being the lamb is not a sign of strength. When you talk about the lamb, he was talking about a sign of weakness. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That he was not presenting as a lion will overcome them. He was presenting that the lamb will overcome. The lamb will overcome. Why will he overcome? Because he laid his life down for people. And those people that he laid his life down for, they are going to lay their lives down for him also. And they are the ones he called the, the, king, um, the kings and the lords. So this lamb, as weak as he looks, okay, is the lord of lords. As weak as he looks, he's a king of kings. So the kings and the lords under him now have to use the power that the lamb bought by the shedding of his blood and exercise that power for the purpose of the Lamb. And that is how he overcomes. What I'm going to say, emphasize from there is this, okay? This is my point from all of that. That is, if we don't do what we are supposed to do, the victory of the Lamb will never be manifested. You see the way it was explained there. The war is against the Lamb. And the Lamb is winning because he controls kings and he controls um, lords. Let's bear that in mind. And I've been emphasizing that these kings, who are they? The kings are not just people who claim they gave their lives to Christ. No, that's not who the kings are. The kings are not people who claim that they are Christians. They are the called. Now, everybody has been called. Now, amongst them, some have been chosen. And then amongst those who have been chosen, I mean, how this how you choose people? You give them something to do. You test them. Amongst the called, everybody is tested. We are tested with adversity. We are tested with trials. We are tested with uh, prosperity. We are Tested with challenges in life. Do you understand? And then those who pass those tests are said to be chosen. Now, this is what it means to be faithful. Amongst them, there are those who are faithful. And who are those who are faithful? They are the people who, the principles by which they pass the test of God, they've maintained those principles over time. Are you getting my point here? Faithfulness is drawn over time. Faithfulness is not something you experience once. Faithfulness is you are repeatedly tested. Repeatedly you are tested. Each time you pass. That is what is called faithfulness. The problem with a lot of Christians is what is called backsliding. Backsliding. Now, it's those who have been chosen that backslide. If you have never been chosen, you really don't qualify for that backsliding thing. So those who have been chosen are those who backslide. Now, I've been a Christian, surprisingly, for many years. One of, one of many years now. And I can say things like I've been a Christian for over 30 years, which I wouldn't be a lie. As I started in the scriptures, as... Life depends on this. I began to understand things in 1987. That will be later this year to make it 32 years. Okay. Now, the emphasis is that I've seen things. I have seen things. Even though we have to try not to judge the things of other people, but there's a risk. Okay. I mean, that is, there's a tendency to just observe and make inferences. And I found out that this faithfulness thing is a major problem. Many people in school, that's why I refer to that. Okay. When you're on campus, you are all there studying the word together. You are there, you know, going to fellowship, clapping and singing and doing all of those things. Then as life begins to move on, you start wondering, was this person really with us? Were these people really with us? You, they start doing things that make you wonder. Those principles were taught, those, uh, those periods. What have you done with them? 
when you are now beginning to do things like the way the world will do them, that is what we are saying. That's the opposite of faithfulness. Those principles, what have you done with them? Are you still using them now? Or you are no longer using them. Many people look at faith, at least for those of us who are believers on campus, many people leave school and think that now that we have to face the challenges of this life, do you follow? Let's now forget those things. As if Christianity was entertainment to fill your useful period of life. You know, it helped you work in righteousness. It kept you, it gave you a focus. Now, now that you have children, now you have to build a house. Now you have to, you know, take care of um, old ones and young ones and take care of your own children. Suddenly you have to face life. You can't, um, you know, you can't just, you know, this faith, faith, faith thing. You can't just leave it like that. You understand my point? You know, that's what we're talking about faithfulness. So people, even though they were chosen, they now left that can I use the word chosenness? <laughs> and then decided to backslide from pressures in life. Let me tell you something about Satan and about life. Satan never gives up. Life never gives up trying to sleep you, you know, make you slide, make you sleep away. You understand? That's why, um, well, I believe it was Paul. The book of Hebrews tells us that we must be careful not to neglect those things, lest they slip away from us. Eventually, they slip away. That's how life is, you know? Life is always trying to pull you back. It's, it's constant. It doesn't ever stop trying. Life never stops trying. Satan never stops trying. We make the mistake a lot of times when we don't realize it. We think that Jesus was tested um, three times, you know? Even the account of three times that is, uh, turn your stones to bread, um, fall down, worship me, and then uh, jump down, and then all of that. And you dash your foot against the stone, not all of that. Now, we assume that that happened once, but that didn't happen only once. Those three, in fact, Bollinger, one of the, if you have the Companion Bible, the man that compiled and wrote the commentary on the Companion Bible, he believed that that particular story of three happened twice. But beyond that, that's not even what I want to talk about. Let's even assume that happened only once, the one that's recorded for us. Okay? Beyond that, Jesus was tempted regularly. Regularly. Look, his greatest temptation was not even that one. His greatest temptation, you will read it later, when he was going to face the cross. Do you get my point? Even between, there were temptations. Come, let us make you king was a temptation. The crowd following him, they were a temptation. So it's not as if now that he has made it, that he has said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Now hear ye him. Then it means that, ha, he's got it made. No. No. That now is what is called chosen. Then you have to repeatedly be chosen to be considered faithful. And I dare to say, even though you have been found faithful, faithful you must maintain that faithfulness. And that is where God is lacking. That is when I say lacking now. That is where he doesn't have people. That is where he doesn't have enough people. Can you believe that a man like Asa, for 35 years, he was faithful. Then another test came to him, and then he backslid. And he fell. Faithful people are very hard to find. You know of Solomon, trained by his father, trained by his mother, trained by select wise men that his father handpicked. They brought this man up, yet, as an old man, he backslid. Backsliding is a major problem. L- listen, that backsliding is a major problem. People follow faith, follow it for a while, and then they go back. That is where the problem is. That is where the problem is. And listen, the fact that you are anointed once does not mean you will be faithful forever. In fact, anointing itself is another temptation. If you are not anointed, there are some temptations you wouldn't have. If you didn't have anointing, why turn stones to bread? Can you turn stone to stone? <laughs> Are you getting my point? <laughs> you can't even keep stone as stone. Who will be tempting you to turn stones to bread? Is the anointing you have that becomes a temptation, becomes a temptation in turning stones to bread? 
So the moment you are anointed, it doesn't mean you've had it made. It means that you now have a new level of temptation. It's important. And you have been, oh God, this is interesting part. You have been scored on everything. You have been scored on everything. The more experience you have with God, the stricter, bear that in mind, the stricter, don't forget it, the stricter your judgments are, the higher the demands. The other day my wife asked me a question at home. When I gave her the answer, she panicked. <laughs> I don't know whether I should explain it to you now. You know? I was in that, you know, there are times you just say, okay, you know what you want to do is bad. But you just do it, God will understand. I said, God will also understand your punishment. What you did as willful. He said, no, it's not covered. There are things you want to pray, you have to be, I'm, believers, you know I told them, I don't preach the common message, so just listen to me. Let nobody lie to you, I'm the one telling the truth. See, I've been telling you. There are things that you want to pray for God to forgive you, just beg him, say, God, can you just reduce the punishment? Don't tell him to forgive you, he won't. He will flog. He will flog. He will flog. The only begging allowed is that, sir, can you reduce the punishment? Remember when my, when Akinu was a little boy, very smart boy, one day I, I told he did something, I said, I'm going to flog him. You know what he said? Daddy, can you use belts, not cane? <laughs> <laughs> the guy realized that the belt, you know, because it's broad, it makes a lot of noise, but it doesn't really hurt so much. But when you take a small cane, it doesn't make so much noise, but it stings. So yeah, I still remember that day, I had a good laugh. He said, he had one request. What is it? Don't use the key, use the belt. <laughs> Sometimes we children of God should understand that too. Yeah, we should. Sometimes we should understand that as children of God, that just ask God, please use the belt. Don't use the cane. Because the belt is, it makes noise, but me, I know I survived. <laughs> now, what, what I'm going to say, so as believers, God keeps on training us Increasing his demands in our lives. And where he lacks, where he finds very few people, is those who can maintain that faithfulness. Can you believe Solomon backslid? Solomon. The Solomon of a thousand bond offerings. The Solomon of ask me for anything. The Solomon that didn't ask for anything apart from wisdom. The Solomon that God was so impressed with his choice of wisdom that... (laughs) He blessed him with everything he didn't ask for. That same Solomon. The Solomon as a young boy, literal teenager. People gathered to listen to him in judgment. The Solomon, do you understand my point? The Solomon that built, built upon the stability his father had created in, in Israel and made them prosper economically. In Israel, there were very few thieves. Do you know why? Stealing was not necessary. In the time of Solomon, they said if you kept your silver on the road, it was not counted as anything. Everybody had enough silver not to be bothered with silver. And if you understand the principle of life and the principle of God, you will know that the temple of God at that time, that temple of God, the, the palace of Solomon, those, those are the magnificent things that Solomon built. This, that palace was common. It may not have been that size, but the princes in Israel had it. When I say princes, I don't mean his sons. I mean the commissioners. The, the rich men in Israel, that was the kind of house they lived in. That's in Solomon. One day, he backslid. And so that's why don't be scared when the man of God backslides. That is, don't be like, ah, is it, listen, it's normal. I'm not saying men of God should backslide. Don't say, Pastor Banks, when is your own coming? That's not what I mean. <laughs> that's not what I mean. 
What I mean is that if you see it, don't let it worry you. In fact, you should pray for people. You know, some people say, ah, if people like this can pass, like, what about us? No, there's nothing like that. That same pool is on everybody all the days of their lives. That's why Paul said, let him that thinks he stands. Do you understand? He should take it lest he falls. If he thinks he stands, he has to do that. Because the pool is constant, never leaves you alone. The sin, you, that is, the sin that easily besets you that you overcome today. You understand? You've had it made. It will wait for a while. That's what it does. The Bible says that Satan departed from him for a while, for a season. He is coming at another opportune time. And that's what God lacks. People who will continually pass that test till the end. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm saying it to let you know the demand that God has on your life and mine. That's what I'm going to explain. That is why Paul said, I press towards the mark, forgetting the things that are behind. Now, one of the things about things that are behind is that we often look at those things that are behind as the negative things behind. But that's not all. There are positive things behind too. We also have to forget them. We have to forget the victories of yesterday. Only referring to them as taking encouragement concerning what God can do. But we don't say that we have done this one before. What I did before, it doesn't mean anything. It's what I'm doing now and doing tomorrow that matters. I hope you're getting my point here. No matter how much you have served God faithfully, forget that service. Even God said if you stop serving, the one you did before will be forgotten. Constancy is important to him. And the only way you can remain constant is to ensure that you're always pressing forward, not trying to maintain anything. You must always be trying to press forward. When I say press forward now, pressing forward in your dedication to the Lord. Pressing forward in your, in, you know, in your, in your commitment. Pressing forward in faith. Constantly increasing in your knowledge of God. If you read the scriptures, that is the thing. Like the one we quote all the time. Paul said it, you know, I pray that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his way. In all spiritual would have understanding. So that you can walk in a manner worthy of him. To be in every good work. And to do what? Increase in the knowledge of God. Peter said, if these things are yours and are increasing... Peter also said, don't be, no, don't let uh, unprincipled men carry you away, you know, with, with their errors. He said, but you grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. That increase must be growth. Growth must be there. Except there is growth, you are being carried away by errors. You are being carried away by errors. The only reason you remain on a particular spot in life is that your backsliding is slow. <laughs> I don't know whether I get my point. That is, if you're on one particular spot, it's a sign you are backsliding. Just that it's slow. You have to continually increase. I was saying, Jesus was tempted constantly. Turns these stones to bread, jump down. One day, those after all of that, Jesus, God now said to him, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Then you know next thing that happened. These people still came and said to him, You will be our king. That was a temptation. To take him away from the destiny of God, to take him away from the plan of God. The man came to him one day. Very influential man, Jesus had become. Anything he said. The people will do. So a man came, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Another temptation. Taking up the assignment that's not your own. Jesus said to him, who made me a judge and an arbiter over you? Who sent me to be settling quarrels? Don't be angry with me. I'm not as good as Jesus yet. I'm trying, okay? But I have some of the bad habits of Jesus too. And I'm also trying. Are you getting my point? You come to Jesus and say, settle quarrel. You say, What's, how is it my business? doesn't look nice. In fact, I, in fact my wife will, I can imagine what my wife will say. Just try now. Just help them. 
Thank God Jesus didn't have any wife to tell him to help anybody. <laughs> because it was a temptation. It was a temptation. And that's why this political season, pastors, you've seen them fall for it. You stand on the pulpit, be telling us who will come back, who should not bother. Tell people who to, the, the, the abuse of office. I mean, and listen, listen, listen. <laughs> you have to be careful. People will approach you. you know these politicians? They are not, they are human beings, okay? So, but they are tempters. They start coming to church regularly. And you say, come dance to the front with your offering. They will make sure you are seeing it from the corner. You, 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 you will, ah, you will support them. They will make you a campaign director. And let me tell you another thing. Solve a family problem is a good thing. But Jesus refused to do it. What I'm trying to say, many times in life, you'll be called to solve serious problems. I will tell them, don't be angry with me. They have some of those bad habits. That's why I don't counsel people I don't know. Who made me a counsel over you? People will come from afar. I want to come and see you. I don't know you. This is my phone number. Don't worry, I'm about to hide it. I've gotten a new one that nobody knows, apart from the son of, you know, Banky and the men and women around him very closely. I'm tired of strangers calling me, asking me for counsel. There's this sister I know, a bit. I've, I've gone to their church to preach a number of times. One day she called me, she has my number, she has my wife's number very well. She, she and my wife, they interact very well. She called me, I said, somebody's in trouble, you know, that I told the guy to come and come and see me. Where is he coming from? Somewhere from out of town. To come and see me. I said, why? I said, you don't know that my wife didn't tell you. I don't see people I don't know. He needs advice right away. I said, not from me. Oh, that's how bad I am. I, do, I don't accept. I, ne- I don't accept. If, people have come to my face before. You ask me for advice. I, say, I know you before. No. I was help that guy. I'm going. I'm going. There's not, you can't get me to talk. Who made me a judge and an arbiter over you? Many of these things are temptations. Even when it comes to ministry. Ha, people will tell you all kinds of things. Ah, Pastor, if you just made this thing to a church and you help a lot of people. The same people that can't come here on Saturday. Not serious. If you say, people, <laughs> there are little, little ways I test people. You know, who, who's serious, who's not? One guy called one day, say he wants to talk to me on the phone. So I tell him that he can come to Enugu. I agree with, I will agree to see him. He says two hours away. That's your problem. It's not important. Who made me a judge and arbiter over you? These are temptations people have to, people will face. Even as a business, businessman, eh? Oh God. Businessman, businesswoman, temptations will come. They'll give you the one that's not the assignment to do because it makes money. Let me tell you something as Christians, eh? Even doing business is just like ministry. It's an assignment from God. It is not every business that's yours to do. And those are the places you pray that God will give you insight, give you understanding, and if necessary, lead you supernaturally to know what is not yours. Demos Shakarian, he went into grain speculation. You know, I said it on, Saturday, on Tuesday, all things are what? Yours. Remember, if you're not around on Tuesday, get the message. All things are yours. <laughs> God messed up the green market because of Demos Shakarian alone. The man went into, you know, a commodity, you know, business, commodities, buying grain and all of that, signed long-term contracts to stockpile grain because they believed that this market, at that time, the price of grain was regulated. And they believe that if government will release the regulation, the price will go up. So they started thinking that, yes, by June, <laughs> regulation should be off. So they started buying and buying and buying. God said, this boy, I will show him, I will teach him a lesson. That who made you a judge and an arbiter over grain? And of course, time, the time came, he has signed contracts. 
for delivery. They removed the regulation, then the price was supposed to shoot up, except that the price started going down. Now, let me say something to you. When God is doing something, you have an explanation for what he's doing. What I'm trying to say is this. You say, okay, it went down because there was not a glut and there was this, there was this. All that one is explanation after the fact. If it was like that, how come we did not know before? What did the Lord do? The Lord just told that angel, crash that price. On a daily basis, Demo Shakaran was losing money. I can't remember the exact figure. Let's just make it easy, all right? Just say it was costing something like, let's say, $10,000 a container. He has signed to, he has signed to buy hundreds of containers. And each day, he had to pay $10,000. Then the price would drop to maybe $9,000. They'll bring it for him at $10,000. The price is now $8,000. They'll bring it for him. He was buying. On a daily basis, he was losing money. He was hemorrhaging badly. And I was out there preaching the gospel of God, organizing programs. They told the boy, it looks like we're going to get wiped out. Of course. So he went to go and pray, Lord, what is going on? The Holy Spirit spoke to him clearly. Who sent you into the green speculation business? Ha, Lord, it's not a bad business now. He said a lot to him simply that that business needs, now listen to this, it needs too much time. I have not given you that amount of time. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. So what do I do? You know what to do. You pull out. I'm losing money on a daily basis. Somebody has to buy the whole business. Say, don't worry, I'll get you a buyer. And the Lord just said, you're not turned to do He said he turned around whether anybody was listening. He said, God, please, can you pay me a good price? <laughs> <laughs> Let's make a long story short. Even business that he did, God had to say, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. He leads us different ways. It's not everything that concerns you. Who made you a, me a judge and an arbiter over you? Jesus was still being tempted on a regular basis. They even tempted him with fear. They came to him and said, Herod wants to kill you. <laughs> that's, it, that's what he said. Go and tell that fox. He said, today, tomorrow, I perform miracles, I do cures. On the third day, I enter into my destiny. Nobody can kill me a day before my time. Don't scare me. The fearful, they miss the will of God. They tried to tempt him with fear. He refused to be afraid. Life is full of temptations. So to get faithful people, believe me, it's hard. The Bible says he that endures to the end. Now, that's an important principle. Enduring to the end. That's what God finds hard to find. I'm not kidding about it. He finds it hard to find. People who will endure to the end. Most times they endure for a while and then they, 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 you know, they backslide. They give up. They endure for seven days. Someone said he will come on the seven days. At the beginning of the seventh day, Saul got tired of enduring. So he went and offered the sacrifice. And then Samuel came in. And Samuel said, don't you understand the principle? He that endures to the end is the one whose kingdom will be confirmed. He said, today God will have established your kingdom. One of the things I try to explain to people is the principle of waiting for God. Same thing as the principle of enduring. I can summarize it like this. The way we, they used to preach it those days, before we started studying the scriptures. He died, that is the, the, the principle, the expression, became, it stopped trending in Christianity. But it's, a, it's an important one that should come back into trending. It's very important. What's the principle? It's called die to self. What do I call it? Die to Dying to self. Yes, we should die to self. That is the only way you can endure. That's the only way. You have to take your eyes off every other thing. Let's read the scripture. I said we should open. Which one does it? 
John chapter 6, yes. I'm sorry to say it again. That's one reason why I don't like the gospel of results. When I say gospel of results, do this, you will get this. This, I prefer the gospel of righteousness. The gospel of godliness with contentment. What is the gospel of righteousness? What is the gospel of godliness with contentment? We do it because it is right. Will it produce? Is irrelevant. It's not being done because of the production potentials. Does it work? That's not the issue. Is it commanded? That's what matters. Is it right? That's what matters. Is it the right thing to do? If it's the right thing to do, we do it, even if we die in the process. Faith is not the way by which we get results. Faith is the way by which we please God. I hope you're getting my point. Faith is the, that is the primary thing about faith is that with it we please God. It's not that we get results with it. The primary thing about faith is that with it we please the Lord. Not that with it we get results. That's an important point for us to understand. That's why I don't like that preaching. No, as if, if, you, if what you are saying is true, show, show us results. Faith is always true, amen? And it has different kinds of results. For some people, faith means behead. They beheaded them. And the Bible says, why did they die? Because by faith, they refused deliverance. Why? That they might get a better resurrection. What is the result you are talking about there? The same faith turned around and delivered some people. Do you get my point? When we're talking, I mean, a few days ago, many of us took time out to pray for Leah Sharibu again. Well, I remember when I was compiling the prayer points for her, according to some of the brethren, I said, listen, her deliverance was the last on our prayer point. We had like four or five. The first one was thanksgiving, that in the midst of everything, this girl stood. Where men of God wouldn't stand, she stood. Where wise people, say, use wisdom, wouldn't stand, she stood. Shedra, Meshach, and Abednego did not know that wisdom. They said, if you want to kill us, kill us. That was the kind of wisdom. That she operated. The wisdom for deliverance, she didn't have it. If I may use that expression. So first thing, God, we thank you. We thank you for that. Second thing, Lord, keep her standing. Keep her faithful. Those are the two most important prayer points. Then third, keep her safe. Then fourth, bring her home. We are giving them to him in the order of importance. I don't want the young girl to die. Please get my point. I pray that the parents will see their daughter again. Hail and hearty. But if they bring back her corpse, we'll still rejoice. That's the point I'm making. We will rejoice. Why will we rejoice? This life is temporary for goodness sake. She becomes a true matter. I hope you're getting my point. A true one. Those who were beheaded for the sake of the gospel. Those who died for it. Go and read um, Rejoiner, Final Quest. I quote, I, I refer to that book all the time. You will see the vision of heaven. I told last, the other day, um, last week, that I look, I like prophets. I like the prophetic office. I don't mean those who are just blessing, you shall be well, you shall be well. I mean prophetic office. People who let you know the reality of the spirit. Go and read the story. Different stories that um, um, uh, Rejoiner told there. You know that the heavenlies, alright, they are real. People like that have a throne. People like that will have a crown of glory. That's a matter of fact. What faith does for us, that's, that's what I'm to emphasize. Faith is not the way by way. Look, faith, the first thing about faith for us is that it helps us please God. That's the first thing about faith. It helps us please God. 
That is the first thing about faith. It makes everything we are doing pleasing to him. It's not the way by which we sow our seeds and reap an abundant harvest. You know how, how, how unhappy I am with that teaching when we lay unnecessary focus, emphasis on it. And how unhappy I am with Christians who stick with it. That's all their faith is. Ask the man, you know, his ignorance. They ask the man, how, you, know, you like coming to church? Yeah. He said, what do you gain when you come to church? He says, an opportunity to get because church is an opportunity to give. And when I give and I get, so this man doesn't understand. You don't have to come to church to give. But you see, don't blame him. That was the wrong thing he was taught. Faith is not the method by which I give and get back. No. It's not my method of giving so I can get back. What is faith is the way by which I give in a manner that is pleasing to God. Even if I get nothing in return. That is what faith is. So one way by which we endure is that principle of dying to self. I have an offering to give. I first die to the money. I don't know whether you're getting my point. I'm not asking what are you bringing for me. This money, you used to be, you used to pretend to be mine. All the while you belong to the Lord. It's true. Now we are giving you out. We are dying to you. Are you getting my point? No, Paul said that there are two dying there. There's we dying to the world and the world crucified to us. Are you getting my point? So you tell the money, I have died to you, you have been crucified to me. <laughs> to me. <laughs> so it's not as if, uh, what are you going to bring for me? As I'm sending you out, you're bringing me a Lamborghini. <laughs> Total rubbish. You cannot give, listen, that, listen, I don't want to mention names. There's a man who likes to preach on money. He said, ah, maybe I'm not as spiritual as you are. When I give, I don't rest until it comes back. I, I'm wondering, did I give the right place that I gave? So I'm waiting for the harvest. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Eh? I don't mean to insult anybody. But the truth is this. Why are you pretending? Let us assume we did it in Naira, right? If I give 10,000 last week, and I gave 5,000 this week, and 8,000 three weeks ago, and I start collecting harvest from money today, how do I know which one is which? I don't know whether you're getting my point. Do you get my logic? If I'm giving constantly, how is it possible to know which one is now producing? I hear it all the time. Say, this one I've given now. I'm waiting. I'm coming back with a testimony. It's a lie. I'm sorry to say it. It's a lie. We we, we are so self-deluded. We don't know when we start telling lies. The principle doesn't work like that. It can't possibly work like that. Because if I'm truly a believer and I'm a constant giver, there is no way I will know which one is producing what. So those testimonies of I gave this one and look at what it produced for me, stop believing it. That's why you are still confused. You'll be believing people telling, telling you lies. Who are trying to raise money from you? Almost every one of these people I'm quoting now, they, only, they told these stories when they're trying to raise money. They never told it in person. Say, so you see that one million I give today? I'm coming back with a testimony. I'm sorry to you know sometimes I sound as if I'm quarreling. It's not my fault. If you have heard the kind of things I've heard, you quarrel too. Especially when you know it's wrong. If you believe it, you'll be quoting it. But if you know, if you did, I've gotten up and walked out of service before. And I, I, I was so angry that day. There was a place I went. I didn't know when I got home. I wanted to remember that the house keys in church. <laughs> 
was angry. I was so angry. The man who was talking that day, he said, today, you are going to give a hundred dollars to break the back of poverty. And you know, Christians, the church is full of, not sheep, goats. Are the mo- that is, people, I'm sorry, people don't like to think. So I give a hundred dollars to break the back of poverty. No, stay there. Some of those things I just, look, I'm saying all of this is to help you, you know, so you may deceive. They are dishonest stories. It is not possible you will give an offering to you know what, what it is producing. It's not all of that, they know Naira. The one you gave last year, how do you know it has produced? That's the one I gave three weeks ago, it's producing today. Forget it. The last year, so maybe it's the one that's producing. You don't know. So how do you get it right? It's what I keep preaching. You die to the offering. Die to the seed. You, are, you, are you getting my point? As you are giving it, you forget it. You don't think about it. The man said, once I give money, I'm, 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 I said, maybe you are spiritual. Maybe you are spiritual. I'm not as spiritual as you. I'm watching out for the harvest. Yes, it's true. You are not spiritual. Don't try and sound humble. You are not. How can you tell me? You're waiting and you're watching whether you gave right or didn't give right. What difference does it make? The money has been given, that has been given. Let's leave it. Let the Lord of the harvest sort himself out. That's why I preach the message. This, this release of the power of God is a continual doing of good works. Good works is not something you do. You know, my mother called me a few days ago. Look, if my mother goes to see you as a doctor, don't worry. Whatever you write, this doctor will vet it. So don't worry. Don't try. You can't poison her behind my back. <laughs> she called me a few days ago. Say, ah, my mother is not a small. She's not a young woman. She's going to be eighty this year. All right. Yeah, yeah. She's going to be 80 her next birthday. So he called me a few days ago. He said, ah, I want you to see the doctor. I said, okay. Then she told me what the man gave her. I said, should I take it? Now, this is where I'm going. I said, well, I'm not a specialist. I don't, as it left to me, I don't think you should. So I called one of my colleagues. I, I thought I'll call, I'll call you back later. Let me talk to one of my colleagues who's a specialist in that area. So I asked a number of questions. Are you, do you have any complaints? Say, no, just regular checkup. I said, okay, fine. So I called my guy later in the day. We discussed. And he said, well, you know, he told me, he said, it was 10 years ago. I would tell her, take it. He said, but now, even me, I'm not sure again. <laughs> he asked a few questions. He said, tell her to leave it first. <laughs> so I called my mother. I said, she, she knows my friend who I called. I said, look, he said, I sh- you shouldn't bother. Okay, I said, okay, fine. Now, this, that's not the story. The story is what I want to tell you. I said to her, I said, how long did he give you for? He said, two weeks. I said, no, 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 no. I said, the medicine he's giving you doesn't work in two weeks. I said, you take it for a lifetime. The moment you stop taking it, the effect is gone. That is, the benefit has left your life. He now okay, no, no, that he just expects me to come back in two weeks. I said, look, that, that, so my friend and I now said that, we, we went to that point. I said, look, this is the problem I have with it. What is the benefit? I said, but the, the complication is kind of adding up and all He checked, sir, at that age... Tell her not to bother. Both of us agree that the, the risks, the adverse effects outweigh, outweigh the benefits. So I said, let's just leave it. Now, but why I just remember the story is that I say it's something you do constantly. You can't take this medicine for two weeks because you're not sick. It's supposed to prevent something. I said, once you stop taking it, it stops preventing it. So I said, once you start, 
you have to take it all the days of your life. We reasoned and said, it's not worth it. I'm just in that example because it happened just yesterday night, I think. What am I going to say? That is how good works. That's what, how they are, or that's how it is. Do, the doing of good works. That's how it is with Christianity. You don't do it for some time because you want to get something. If you are not willing to die with it, don't bother starting. He said, don't be tired or weary of doing good. Because you will reap a reward in due season. With one qualification, if you faint not. So Christians are supposed to learn to constantly do stuff so that they don't faint. So how can we sustain it? You know, we're talking about faithfulness. How can we sustain being faithful? Remove the promised reward from your eyes and die to self. What is die to self? The man who said that he's waiting for the harvest. Stop waiting for the harvest. It is not a true gospel that says that you have to be confessing you are receiving. So that that thing will produce. Those things are not Christianity. I don't know where we invented them from. But I stand under God and I say boldly before you, they are not Christianity. Those things that we do. You put your seat down and I'll be watering it. You're watering it. Money? can we get? We are many things of this earth. That's what the problem is. They don't work like that. They, whether you think of them or not, good works will do what it's supposed to do when the time comes. And like we say all the time, I like there's a quote I heard from Waleoke many years ago. He said, those that do the work that counts, don't stop to count those works. Are you getting my point? Those that do the works that count, don't stop to count them. They just do them. They don't even know they are doing anything. And it's in the Bible like that. They asked him, when did we see you and helped you? They didn't know. They said, oh, you were, you were nice to me. You visited me when I was sick. You gave me when I was hungry. You fed me when I was hungry. You gave me water when I was thirsty. You clothed me when I was naked. They said, eh. Sweetheart, you know him. The wife looks no, never seen him before. That is what produced results for them. They did not know when they did it. They were not conscious of it. They just did the work and continued moving. Please never forget it. That's the way it works. So how can we be faithful? That's the point I'm making. How can we remain faithful without getting tired? What is the principle? Die to self. Look for nothing out of whatever you are doing that is right. Just die to self. Give your life to Christ. Don't invest in Jesus. There's a word of difference. You give your life to Christ. It's not an investment. You give your life to Christ. It is not an investment. What does it mean to give your life to Christ? Let him kill you if he likes. Let him reduce you if he likes. Let him use you for whatever he wants to use you for. That is what it means to give your life to Christ. Jesus is not the way by which you multiply your potential. No. (laughs) No. Jesus is the way by which you discover what God wants to use you for. Paul said, all these things that I gained, what happened? Now I have counted them as what? As loss. Why? Because the knowledge of Christ itself is surpassing gain. I don't know whether you're getting my point. To know Christ is a gain. Listen, that this, 
if God, let us assume, let's do this money doubling business again. All right, let's try, okay? If I say everybody now, bring out a fat offering. And everybody, you dip your hand in your pocket. But anyway, you've gathered money. You brought it. And as they hold that money and say, Lord, as I drop the seed, this is what I want you to do for me. I'm telling you today, asking for one thing. That I may know you. And the power of your resurrection. And the fellowship of your suffering. Being made conformable unto your death. Ask him for that and leave it. If you ask him, Lord, this is 50,000. I want you to make it half a million in 10 days. You don't know anything. That is, even if you wanted to do the money, the, the money seed business, let's ask him for serious things. Do you get my point? Let's ask him for serious things. Let's ask him for things that really matter. Because Paul said, all these things that were valuable to me, these things that were gained, I have counted every one of them as rubbish, as dung. Why? So I can know him. That is the greatest reward is the knowledge of God. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point here. That is the only way we can be faithful for us to understand. Like I said last time, you know, if we don't know what exactly what God is doing, we can, we'll mess up. If we don't realize that what is going for in our life is faithfulness. And let me say to you again, God is really is lacking. He needs that he doesn't have enough. In fact, I'm saying that almost prophetically. He said, there are not enough. He said, maybe the Lord has 5,000 hidden in caves. I've been to all my caves, God is saying. Even the ones I kept there, they don't sneak out. <laughs> they heard that Ahab was sharing food and not killing people again. They went out. I'm saying to you, they are not enough. There are not enough ministers. Today I was talking with Pastor Courage, you know, he's, you know, he was, he was pained, he was alarmed. You know, we were praying for the country, you know, like last Tuesday, the, the, the Tuesday before that, we took time out to pray for this election that was postponed today now, alright? He said, when you talk to ministers one-on-one, and when you hear what they say, he said, you want to, you want to cry. And now you, you are the preacher. Then when he, now, he didn't even know what we discussed here two Tuesdays ago. If I, I was not telling him that, ah, that was what we discussed in Kingdom World 2. He said, when you hear them talk, what they call the will of God is a candidate they are all supporting. Who they have put their hope in, if he wins, this will happen. So when they say, let us pray for this election. On the surface, they are saying, Father, let your will be, be done. But in their heart, they are saying, your will must be articulated, though, because this way... <laughs> I'm telling you, in fact, that, you know, and I told him, you see, this is where I'm going. And I told him that, ah, that in Kingdom World, we actually did something like that, that I taught along that line about praying in faith. That was two Tuesdays ago. And that we took an illustration that I asked those who are planning to vote for, who are supporting APC to put up their hands. I said, a number of people here put up their hands. I asked for those who are voting for PDP, they don't put up their hands. We mentioned about four political parties. And I said, each one, we all put up our hands and we're all together. So, and yet, the same people prayed and said, God, let your will be done. And they didn't change their party affiliation. Why? We don't know who his will is. I don't want to say some things because you now, you, you know, you, you, you'll be suspecting me that I'm a prophet. There's one brother I'm talking to. He says, sir, you know you're a prophet. I said, stop saying this thing because I, I can't talk to you freely. 
And then, you know, as, 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 as if to spoil the ministry, and I said something to him. As I said like this, I was teaching, I was not professor, you know. He said, sir, you know I told you you're a prophet. He said, let me tell you why I say so. Then he now began to explain to me some things going on in his life, which I had just explained to him in a few sentences of teaching the word of God. I said, ha, without bro, before I talk, I had to wash my mouth. Now, I wash my mouth because some people, anything you say, he said, the, the prophet has spoken. The Lord is good. <laughs> now, so that's by the way. I don't want to say some things because you think I'm prophesying. Okay? Because really, I'm not prophesying. I'm teaching. Even though those are my teachings, eh? they have been so prophetic. You know, I prophesied a bachelor's death. I did not know. <laughs> I was just correcting brethren. I got up and I said, brethren, look, let's be careful. I said, the head of state, the head of state, you're talking about him, he's not right, you know. I said, when God is done with him, he will kill him and nothing will happen. The boy dropped down dead six weeks after. When, which month did he die? June. June. Good. I said this May 1st, 98. Six weeks after, the man was dead. Hey, I, I wasn't prophet. I was just teach, I was just correcting brethren and explaining to them what you are doing is not the will of God. Now, let me get back to what I'm going to say. So there are many things I would have loved to say, but I'm afraid you take them as prophetic, so I will keep quiet. All right. <laughs> but this election is in the hand of God. You don't know what is going to happen. You, you know, Israel gave me last Tuesday's message. <laughs> I was just was two Tuesdays ago. So I was going through it <laughs> two Tuesdays ago. <laughs> and I heard myself say, Who told you to, to hold today, Seth? I didn't even know. It. <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting my point. I said, Who told the election we hold? When I heard I said, laugh. <laughs> it's in the recording. Go and get it two Tuesdays ago. I said, oh, just, no, You're just encouraging us. Now, let's not put our eyes on anything. And they said, Okay. Just, let's not put our eyes here. Let's not say, who told the election we hold? Only for me to wake up at 5 a.m. and get messages on my phone that are saying that election has been postponed. Though. I think it was around 2 a.m. they decided. Was it 12 midnight? By that time, my sleep was in gear 3 or something. So, <laughs> the Lord is good. I said, the Lord is good. Look, what I was trying to say, many politicians, Pastor Corey was saying, people were praying what? For politicians and calling it the will of God. He said when he heard them privately, he was heartbroken. You know, this kind of people you join a brother, let us pray. This next election, Father, your will, your will. What they are saying is something else. What am I saying? People are, you see, eh? you look at God there, eh? you, you, you feel sorry for him. How can you, you look at Jesus Christ, the Lamb, King of, you say, where are your kings? Lord of, he said, where are they? They call him the king of kings. He said, Banki Simeo. And those who come as a lamb into battle. Victory, I will execute through my kings. Where are they? Because they can't be kings except they are faithful. They can't be kings except they are faithful. I said, even faithful pastors are hard to find. Faithful pastors. And listen, once you don't find faithful pastors, faithful congregation are even harder to find. Because the spirit of faithfulness is poured out through the faithful people on the pulpit. You don't just be faithful for... No, the spirit, there's a spirit of faithfulness. It has to be poured out. So if God is finding it hard to find faithful pastors, I said, I, 
<laughs> one day, I, my wife and I, a few, about two years ago, went to visit one of my friends, a minister. My wife just said, how, how far would this brother? Ah, let's go and see, let's go and see. We got up. When we finished, when we finished talking that day, I turned the street. I said, and these are things I don't say often. I said today, I believe I was sent by God to, man, to come and correct this your mindset. I said, you cannot bless the people of God. No, I said, no, this is wrong. I said, no wonder my wife was not addressed. He said, let's go and come and look for this man. I said, this thought process for a pastor, no, it's out of order. Because I couldn't understand the difference between your thought process and that of the average person on the road. The activist. The freedom fighter. Jesus was never a freedom fighter. Go and check it. The zealots were freedom fighters. They were. When Jesus came, said they slap you on the right cheek, turn the left. The zealots looked at him and like, are you okay? They said to you, go with me one mile, go with them two miles. That's oppression. Like I gave an example last time, what he was saying is this. If a corrupt policeman says, stay here, you are not going. Your papers are complete. There's nothing wrong with your car. It's not stolen. Everything is in order. But you are not going until you give me a thousand naira. Jesus said, give him two thousand. Tell him this is the one thousand you asked for. This second one thousand that I just, just for, on the house, you know, for the children. You know, just tell their uncle say you should greet them. <laughs> That's what Jesus said. Now, just by the way, Christians understand the difference between extortion and bribery. When a man puts a gun to your head and says, I will shoot if you don't give me your money. You don't say, by faith, I'm not giving you. You can't. I'm not saying it's wrong if you want to say, by faith. One of our brothers did it. He said, me, you will shoot me. Saying, Jesus' name, die. That one collapsed and died. So, faith, they happen. What am I saying? Listen. Even pastors, faithful ones, they are scarce. They are out there supporting politicians. Endorsing, 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 endorsing out of the will of God. They all endorse Jonathan. You saw what happened to Jonathan. Their endorsement send the poor guy home. When pastors are all endorsing you, you should know that your political career is almost over. You know, you know, there's the way God does it, though. If he loves them, he says, ha! How many of them got 7,000 pastors supporting the election? Is it Buhari or who did they support? How many were they? 1,000. If they were real pastors, that man has lost the election. <laughs> you know, God knows how to disgrace his people. He said, I did not send these prophets, yet they ran. <laughs> he said, don't add to his words. Otherwise, he'll make you a liar. You know what that means? He would demonstrate for everybody, say, you told a lie. I said, even faithful pastors are hard to find. Feel sorry for the Lord. Donate yourself. Say, Lord, I have come as one determined to be faithful. I said, we should read something, right? Have we read it till now? Anybody laughs at me, you'll finish this message. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. We'll read it. We're always reading. The Lord is good. John chapter 6. You know, we're talking about what? The principle of you know, staying firm, of faithfulness. I want to read something that Peter said. It's a long story there. It's just one verse we'll take because of time. John chapter 6. I'm looking for where to just start. We are going down to verse 68, but I just want to break it up from somewhere. Now take a break. From the earlier portions, he was talking about the fact that his brother came down from heaven and they asked him, uh, how can you say stuff like that? 
In verse 51, he says, I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If only, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And I in him. And as the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is a bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, now this is where I'm going. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. That is not a good one. Let's say it in King Jesus. This is a hard saying. You understand? <laughs> Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and Alive, and there are some of you who do not believe. And I'm just reading all of this because I'm having fun reading it. All right, the, the words are so beautiful. Where I'm going is verse 68. I told you earlier. Let's let's, <clears throat> let's now jump to verse 66. The Bible now says, as a result of this, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not working with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, "Do you do not want to go away also? Do you?" Verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's why I want to stop reading. Please everybody read verse 68 with me. Want to go? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's okay. I want us to use the words of Peter again. Everybody, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let's do it one more time. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, that is the number one step to faithfulness. It is, that's, like, that's what's called giving your life to Christ. Knowing there is nowhere else to go. That's the point. Let me say something to you. The more the number of places available for you to go, the less the power of God will be available for you to manifest. What I've told is a matter of fact. The more we have options in life, the less of God we will experience. <laughs> I said it the other day. You must deliberately confess away your advantages. No, I said everything I wanted. I was saying to build up to this point or to explain this point. First, the people that God can use that can be his laws and his kings are those who have totally, completely, like Peter, given their whole life to him so that whatever happens, they know they have nowhere else to go. 
They didn't come to test the Lord. They didn't come for healing. Let me tell you something. Oh God. We read that in Psalm 45. He said, because you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity, therefore God thy God has anointed you. And we said at that time that those that love righteousness are the ones that are anointable. Please, don't think of the blessings when you want to serve God. Think of the joy of walking in righteousness. Think of the joy of walking in righteousness. One thing I've noticed about the Lord is this. He blesses people who are not looking for the blessing. Why did I say thou has loved righteousness? Why did I put that again? I was remembering John the Baptist. John the Baptist, have you ever asked yourself a question? Jesus went to the pool, five Porsches, full of sick people. He healed one man and walked away. He healed one man and walked away. The man did not ask to be healed. I hope you are aware of that. He got there. He said, do you want to be made whole? The man said, hmm. Not like I don't want to be made whole. But this country, nobody is helping anybody again. I have no man. He didn't know who Jesus was. It's interesting. Yeah, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your pallet and walk. The man got up, took up his pallet and walked. And did not know who Jesus was. Jesus did that miracle on a Sabbath day as if to deliberately cause confusion. Because the man was going on carrying his load. They said to him, why are you carrying your load on a Sabbath day? He said, oh boy, if you have been lying down for a very long time and they tell you to carry something and you can carry it, (laughs) you will carry it to heaven. (laughs) That was what he was saying. He said, the man who healed me said, I should carry it. What do you want me to do? I shouldn't carry it. They said, where is the man? I don't know. But he came here. He said, I should get up. When he said get up, strength came to me. And I rose. The least I can do for him is to carry my bed. <laughs> See confession. Now, my emphasis in the story is that he didn't even know who Jesus was. The impression we get sometimes is that faith is like, you lay hold of Jesus. Thou son of David, you ain't going today until, you know. First, recognize who Jesus is. Tell your neighbor, recognize. Even me, I preach it. I'm not trying to mock anybody. We all preach. It's part of faith. But that's not all there is to faith. This man did not know who Jesus was. The power of God didn't give him the ability to doubt. He didn't allow that. No, he didn't allow him that. Again, I'm back to it. Which is the reason I wrote the book, Great Faith Can Be Yours. They came to a woman... When the Bible uses the word widow, you must understand the concept of widowhood. The concept is helplessness. The concept is there's nobody to help. That's the concept. Yet a stranger showed up and said, give me, if you give me that last meal, the meal will never finish. And she believed. It's one of two things. Naturally speaking, if you look at the normal order of things, either she knows something we don't know, or she's totally stupid. Gullible. Let's make a long story short. You can read the book, Great Faith Can Be Yours. That, because of how I wrote that. Why did she believe? I'll tell you. It is because there is something greater than looking out for your need in the life of believers. There is something greater than it. 
And when you have when you have reached out for that thing, solving your problems become easy for God. The woman was not trying to grab it by faith, grab it by faith. No. There was something about her that made Elijah cross that distance to get to her doorstep. Her life made God dry up the brook so as to ignite Elijah to move. And the Lord poured the spirit of faith in her so that the woman believed before she realized there was believing to do. I don't know whether you get what I'm trying to say. It's called the spirit of faith. That's why I wrote the tract. This is faith. That was what's inside the tract. To let us know, faith is not my ability to squeeze my face. I refuse to doubt right now. I receive from God two duplexes. A brand new Toyota Land Cruiser. Yes, Land Cruiser. Land Cruiser. Hold me so I don't doubt. That is lacking the spirit. Those who have the spirit of faith, they are finished believing before they knew there's something to believe. Those that had the spirit of faith, they already told them, throw them into the fire before they realized that they could die or they could be delivered. He said, for you have loved righteousness. That's what I'm talking about. Because you have fully committed yourself to God, to Christ. Back to John the Baptist. I know where I began this from. John the Baptist did not do any mighty work. He came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The only thing John the Baptist came to establish was to filter out those who loved sin and those who loved righteousness. No, listen to it now. If John the Baptist was healing the sick, everybody would go and get baptized. If John the Baptist was raising the dead, if he was making the lame walk, opening blind eyes, cleansing the lepers, the whole of Israel would have come to be baptized. But John the Baptist did nothing like that. He just came. And this is another thing must bear in mind. Prophets, those they call prophets in the Bible, few of them predicted anything. Most of them just called people to repentance. That is, when the Spirit of God came upon them, it was repent. Jeremiah was not going around solving with those problems. So. No, they were not. These people just taught you what was right and what was wrong. That was their principle. So John the Baptist, since his time he was a little boy, what was he doing? He was preaching, preaching repentance. Listen to me. If you loved sin, you could not stand John the Baptist. But if you loved righteousness and the society, because society is very powerful, environment is very powerful. If you love righteousness and the environment had pushed you into iniquity, the environment had pushed you into sin, but deep inside your heart, there's a love for righteousness. John the Baptist arose and preached the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You followed him. Listen to me. Those who were following John the Baptist were not sowing a seed for healing. They just loved righteousness. They just said, this is my life of iniquity is enough. Those who followed John the Baptist, they did not know there was breakthrough coming. Listen, nobody preached healing to them. They did not know there was healing to be received. I said this to you boldly. When Jesus landed on the, on the scene, he shocked them with what he brought. It was shocking. For hundreds of years, Israel was no longer accustomed to miracles. They, look, so they were just going to for baptism. So those who went to John needed to love righteousness. Because John was not attractive. 
Jesus said, when you went out to the wilderness, what did you go to see? <laughs> you went to see a man well-dressed with his Armani suit and stuff like that. He said, no. He said, those ones are in king's palaces. He said, when you went out into the wilderness, what did you go to see? You went to see a prophet. Oh, he said, oh, sorry, more than a prophet. I hope you're getting my point here. John was not nice. Pharisees came and said, people came to church today. The only thing he warned everybody about is his judgment to come. He didn't tell them there was blessing to come. He said, who, who, who told you to flee from the judgment to come? He said, brood of vipers only. Look at them. Oyoshi, all of them. They came to church. John's church was not a nice church to go. They didn't have seeker-friendly services. He did not adapt his service to suit you. He said, don't offend people, they may go. John said, who asked them to come in the first place? It's not their sin that's pushing them down here. They are tired of iniquity. They are tired of, you know, ungodliness. They know God will punish sin. That's why they have come. That's the only thing their faith in God gave to them, the fear of God's judgment. But let me remind you of a principle we've taught here before. I call it the third day principle. Anything God wants to do, he prepares people for it on the first and the second days. He said to Moses, go and tell the people to sanctify themselves, cleanse themselves, wash their clothes. He told them the things to do concerning sanctification. He said they should do it on the first day and on the second day. He said on the third day I will come. John the Baptist was the first day. He was the second day. First and second days are characterized by lack of spiritual powerful manifestations. But is endured by those who love righteousness, who love Jesus, who have given their lives to Christ, who have not just invested in Jesus. By the first and second days, they made up their minds, if we perish, we perish. We just want to be cleansed of our sins. I like what the Kenny Higgins said. He said after he gave his life to Christ on his deathbed, he said after that, that time, he said it was as if a heavy load had been lifted from his chest. That he wasn't thinking of being healed. He was just so happy he didn't go to hell. He said, that's all. He said every day he sang. Every day he praised God. And he mentioned that he wanted to sleep. He slept smiling. So he fixed his fan on his face as he sleeps off. He, why? He said, I want them to know, in case I died in my sleep, that I died happy. He said, I was just too grateful that my sins have been forgiven. Just too happy that if I die, I won't go to hell. I'm just so happy that I'm a son of God. I'm, I, let me tell you, believers. Listen, God wants us in this generation to return to having our final joy in those principles. These people came, are you getting my point? And they had healed the sick. They had done all kinds of things and cast out demons and they were rejoicing. Jesus said, don't rejoice in that. What should you rejoice in? That your name is written in heaven. He said, that's all. Jesus that gave them anointing didn't see the cause of rejoicing. He said, ah, today we went out. <laughs> when I saw that blind man, I said, do my eye like this. I roll my eye, I pulled open. John will say, James, wait. How many did you do? Three. Says, so, sir, let me start my story. Day one, three. Now, let me go on to second days. Now, I have beaten <laughs> all this one that James was saying. They were so happy. But Jesus said, that's not cause for rejoicing. That's why people followed John the Baptist. They loved righteousness. It was enough for them. Now, let me tell you, John the Baptist is not baptized for one year. He did not baptize for two years. I am convinced John did not baptize for ten years. Why? Because John and Jesus were about the same age. 
So by the time Jesus came on the scene, he was about 30 years old. And he had been filled with the spirit from his mother's womb. So when he went to the wilderness, I want to assume, as a teenager, for definitely about 10 years, John the Baptist had been baptizing. The only thing he did was to call people to repentance. That's the only thing he did. And the Bible said to us categorically, this man did not do any mighty work. So those who went to John got baptized. The days of John, or let's say the day of John, was extended briefly into the days of Jesus. Because the early days of Jesus, the disciples of John followed him. And Jesus was not baptizing, but teaching. And Peter and Co. were baptizing with the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins that they brought from John. And Jesus, you know, was just watching them. And then the moment he heard that John had been taken into custody, he began for the first time to preach publicly. And he said, repent. The same gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. They did not know what the kingdom of God implied. Now this is what I'm saying. Then Jesus began his miracles. Kind of Galilee, he started. With, um, what do you call it? Anyway, he started miracles, one after the other. Now listen to this. The moment he started, the door was closed. If John did not baptize you, if you were not baptized the first days of Jesus, you couldn't get healed until he went to the cross. And he told us this in all of his parables. When the bridegroom is coming, you know, he kept on warning. When the bridegroom comes, they're going for the feast. What's the first thing they do? They shut the door. Jesus closed the door on that generation. All those who were outside became his enemies. One of those that John baptized, but who he did not heal, was that man that was at the pool of Siloam. So the spirit told him, go and find him. The man loved righteousness. He didn't have the faith, I receive, I receive. No, but he loved righteousness. So when Jesus got there, engaged him in talk for a few moments. He poured the spirit of faith into him. He told the man, arise, take up a pallet and walk. The man found strength that he was not, that is, Jesus ministered to him. I hope I get my point. He, Jesus ministered to him because he was prepared. So Jesus walked away. The man did not even know who it was until Jesus came back and began to teach him. What am I trying to emphasize here? <laughs> For you have loved what? Righteousness. Those who love righteousness are the only ones that can endure till the end. That's why I say Christians. Does Jesus heal? Answer me, does he heal? Yes. Does he prosper people? Yes. But I'm telling you, remove those things from the front of your eyes. Follow righteousness. That is the key to faithfulness. Unfortunately, in this generation, you find a lot of people that the service of God is for the miracles of Jesus. They don't realize that the miracles of Jesus were not for those who sought the miracles. They were for those who first sought John the Baptist in the days of John. Don't forget that thing. The miracles of Jesus, they were not for those who were seeking the miracles. They were for those who first, who did what? First. I'm not saying they didn't want miracles. I didn't say they didn't want miracles. I'm just saying the first thing they sought was the righteousness that John taught. That's why he said later, seek first what? The kingdom of and his righteousness. And every other miracle will be added to you.
That was why those who were not seeking miracles got miracles. As I Christians, I said, look, stop seeking these results. You know. Stop. Let your commitment be, please, what is right to do? Not does it produce results. What does it matter to you? Let me tell you something you may, you may have overlooked. There are people that John the Baptist baptized and they died before Jesus came. Not, nothing wrong with them. God was not punishing them. It's just that the day of Jesus had not come. But in eternity, they get their reward. I hope you are getting my point here. They get their reward. What am I trying to do? First, point out to us that many of God's warriors, in quote, are looking for miracles. They are looking for breakthroughs. Listen to me. Once you are looking for miracle, looking for breakthrough, that's the primary reason why you are seeking the Lord. You will not endure to the end. No, because so. You will not endure. You can't. It's not possible. The only people that can endure are the ones that have opened their hearts to being satisfied only with what? Righteousness. John baptized them. They are happy. I'm not saying they don't want a miracle. But they were not even thinking about it. They did not link the baptism of John to it. I can tell you as a matter of fact, they are the ones that Jesus is just walking. They touch the hem of his garment. They are made whole. You know, one of the major problems we have in Christianity, I've said many times, is that we learn the principles of harvest. The principles of seed, they are obscure. Oh, they are very obscure. The principles of true seed, they are very obscure. Many people planting seed right now, they are not planting seed. They are trying to manipulate the harvest. They are not planting seed. Spiritual seeds are planted when you don't know anything is happening. When you are planting spiritual seeds, you don't even know anything is happening. You don't, that is, your mind is not going to the harvest. You're just, you're just being you. I've read many biographies, eh? <laughs> A few of them, even Christian biographies, eh? I like the ones that people just write. They were not even trying to link this to this, I did this, then this one happened. They just told the stories of their lives. You need insight and understanding to see where the seeds are. But when it is a, a biography of people who are trying to explain the principle of success, that is, a man said, look, oh, you know, uh, this man is rich. Let's write a story about him so we can show the young people how to succeed. Nine times out of ten, they are full of lies. They start ascribing success to things that are not the seed of success. They will be ascribing success to the things of harvest. And people will learn those things, go out thinking they are planting seeds. Meanwhile, what they have in their hands are sickles. They are driving combined harvesters. They have no seed in the earth. You know, the other day I thought about it. People teach all kinds of principles. I believe it's the Holy Spirit that gave me understanding. I said, all these principles that they are saying. Lord, I don't like to confuse people. I want to teach the truth. What is this principle? How do they really work? All these things people are saying. Then I understand it came to my head. I started laughing to myself. I said, all they are teaching people is how to build circuits. They've not taught them the source of power. No matter how much you build your circuit, that machine will never work. <laughs> you get up in the morning, how to talk to staff, how to invest for the future, all of that is circuits. Put the board here. That's okay. You have now built the fan now. Blow yourself now. You'll still be using your hand to turn the fan. Turn the blades. 
and you see small breeze. It's working, it's working, because it is it's not working. The real power that makes things work is spiritual. That one, no human being, no human being can produce it. You can't engineer it. It is given automatically. Remember, for you have what? Loved righteousness and hated wickedness or iniquity. Therefore, God, thy God, has anointed you. Listen, anointing is power. He has poured the power into your life to succeed. He has poured the power into your life to get results. That one, it is with him. Nobody can share that glory with him. He sees the heart. You can't deceive him. He's a faithful God. He's just calling for people who are truly faithful. Upon whom he can pour his power. Let me say it again. He said there are very few. He said, Banky, go and recruit more for me. People who don't love their lives, even when they are faced with death. Why? They gave their lives to Christ. They did not invest in Jesus. I think I've spoken enough. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Let's bow our heads to pray. Let's just give the Lord thanks. Say, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we give you praise. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we give you praise. Let's thank the Lord for blessing the nation. Let's thank him because he's doing something great. He's working in our lives. Let's give him praise for that. And I declare to you that goodness and mercy will go with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Favor will go with you in the name of Jesus. Amen. No evil will befall you. Amen. No plague will come near your dwelling place. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord will make all grace abound towards you. Amen. You will have all sufficiency in all things. Amen. And you will abound to every good work. Amen. The love of righteousness, that is your portion. Amen. From the bottom of your heart, you will love righteousness. Amen. From the bottom of your heart, you will take the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. And you will be satisfied with the righteousness of God. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Wherever you go this week, God will go ahead of you. Amen. Where he will not go, you will not go. Amen. You will not even be able to go there. Amen. God's presence will be opening doors for you. Amen. And the lack of his presence will shut those doors that you are not supposed to enter through. Amen. In everything, his name will be glorified. Amen. And safety will be your portion. Amen. Progress will be your portion. Amen. And glory will be his own. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Before you go, I just feel like praying for somebody. If you are sick anywhere in your body, your stomach area, especially your back, other physical, like other outside or inside, just put a hand over that area. I speak to all the affliction. In the name of Jesus, be gone. Amen. Jesus died to set that one free. That's a son of Abraham, like Jesus said. That's a daughter of Abraham. Today you are free. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. This is the day of your own Sabbath. You are free. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go home and be healed. Amen. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's share the grace in fellowship. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death, we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out from under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is our season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, please bless three people around you. Multiplication, dominion, and manifestation. Two more people.